We, um, today we're going to be approaching our service a little bit differently. If you have been around Christian life very long, you know that we put a very high premium on scripture, on God's word, the teaching and preaching of God's word. And we're going to get to that in, in just a few minutes. But today is Mission Sunday here at our church. Faith Promise Sunday is what we call it. And we thought it would be interesting if not only we honored God's word, but we honored the testimony of what God has done in and through our church as it relates to missions. And so uh, today what we're going to do, we're going to talk a little bit uh, here in just a moment. We're going to talk a little bit with Pastor about when he first came to Christian life and kind of where the church was. And then we're going to talk to Pastor Tommy about where the Lord has brought us. And then we're going to shift over to Pastor Cody and talk about where we feel like the Lord is leading us. And so very, very excited um, about this. I do want to say if you are maybe a guest or maybe you've only been, uh, you know, a part of the church family for a couple of months, um, you may not be aware that there are some major transitions that are going on at our church right now and over the next year, over the past few years. So, for instance, uh, Pastor Chitty, um, this man has been at the church next October will be 30 years. He and Miss Ramona have been at this church. And um, my wife and I will be transitioning into um, the lead pastor role next October. Pastor will uh, move to a uh, pastor emeritus type role. And so we are, um, you know, anticipating the Lord uh, through this transition to do um, so much. But it's not just that. There are other moving parts uh, in the church family. You guys remember a few years ago when Pastor Frank felt like the Lord was calling him to, to do missions work. And so we got Pastor Bell on staff. And then when I left for... Um, excuse me, when, when I transitioned as part of the plan, uh, the long-term transition, uh, we needed to replace me as youth pastor. And so we transitioned Pastor Mike in and just so many different things. In our missions department, uh, Pastor Tommy and Miss Jeannie have been here for 25 years, okay? And so much, we'll talk about that here in a moment. But, but now we are, we are passing the baton. Pastor Tommy and Miss Jeannie, they're going to give their attention primarily to the seniors ministry here at the church. And Pastor Cody is going to receive the missions ministry. And uh, he and his wife, Katie, and they're going to take it. And uh, we're going to see what the Lord will do. And so that's, that's kind of just a recap of kind of where we are right now in case you're like, who are these guys up here? By the way, I bet it's been a long time since anybody has seen this much handsomeness in one concentrated <laughs> you remember the tabernacle in scripture where the there was such concentrated I don't I mean I'm not not we're not even I'm talking about handsomeness not glory okay um, so some of you may not recover it's okay but that's the the track that we're going to go on today um, first thing I want to do is kind of turn our attention uh, to Pastor Chitty and uh, Pastor Chitty and Miss Ramona, their family, they came to Christian life in 1994. As I said, next October will be 30 years, okay? So just for a little bit of perspective, okay, um, can anybody guess how old Cody was in 1994? Anybody, any guesses? I hear some random nine. That would be a great guess. Uh, Cody was one. Cody was one year old in 1994, um, which isn't bad or anything like that. It's just showing you the legacy ministry of this church. And uh, from generation to generation, it's pretty powerful. So Pastor and Mr. Mona, you guys came in October of 1994. And 
Christian Life has always been a phenomenal church, a legacy church is what we call it. But you came in from Pastor Brown, who had been here for almost 20 years, and he, you know, his predecessor was somebody who was here for almost that length of time, and so much that the Lord had done. But specifically, can you just give us an idea of the context that you stepped into as it relates to the church, but more specifically like missions, where they were, where we were, and all that? Yeah, I want to say, first of all, um, when we talk about things God has done, we tend to think that we're talking better. You know, this is better than this. You know, the, the new is better than the old. I don't think the kingdom of God works that way. Even Jesus had phases that he went through. The scripture says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That means even Jesus had seasons that he grew into. So I think whenever we celebrate the past, we're not looking back to, oh, it was this and now it's this, but we are recognizing and, and celebrating every phase of growth that the, the Lord has brought the church through. I, I think um, one thing that is notable over the, the past few decades is that um, the church um, in those days on average gave about 36 to 40,000 um, a year, um, which is a lot. 36,000 in 1994 is different than 36,000 today. 36,000 today, you go buy groceries, get a tank of gas, you know. Um, but I'm saying that um, um, even though the church very graciously gave that amount, and in fact, the church, I mean the congregation, um, then the church supplemented part of that sometimes when it was necessary. The Lord put on my heart that we wanted to be a church that was so devoted to missions that we gave what we received and not that we, we didn't want missions to be a program. We didn't want missions to be a budget line item. We wanted missions to be a way of life. And, um, and through those years, God blessed us in a lot of ways. Um, since then, uh, about a third or more of our parking lot out here didn't belong to us. It was another piece of property. Um, you're sitting on a, what was a, a lakefront, well, not a lakefront, the lake. Um, we ended up, um, it was beautiful, but it was unusable. Had tried for years and years and years to get permission to drain that retention pond and, um, and build. We couldn't get it. And we said, let's try one more time. And they said, yes. And when they said, yes, we didn't know what to do because we'd just been told no so many times. Um, and then we were able to fill it in and it made building possible. We have the property next door now across the street. God did so many phenomenal things, this sanctuary built, but all of the stuff that God did, I can draw a direct linkage from what God has helped us do, the numbers that have increased. I can draw a direct line to increased missions and it seemed like every time God gave us a challenge to do something, he also gave us a challenge to give more to missions. The logical mind would think, well, you can do one or the other, you know. Um, I've, I've known a lot of friends, a lot of pastors that said, well, we've done so much for missions. Now it's time we did something for ourselves." I'm, I'm thankful I had a pastor that taught me a great lesson 
he said uh, two things that will always stick with me. He, he said, um, number one, he said, a church cannot do everything. A church can't be everything. A church cannot have every program. Through the years, we've lost people because they said, well, I think the church ought to do this. And we had to say, we don't feel it. We, we feel like that's a wonderful mission, but we don't feel that God has put that on our heart. I remember telling somebody one time, we don't do that. I wish we could, but we just, we, we don't have workers. We don't have an open door for it. But First Baptist downtown does that better than anybody I know. And uh, they thought, so you're trying to get rid of me. And I said, no, I'm trying to tell you if this need is important enough to you, then you need to go to a church that feels the call for that. And we don't feel the call for that. People didn't always understand that churches can't do everything. Uh, pastors can't do everything. Pastors can't be everywhere. And Pastor Cody, uh, Pastor Cody, Pastor Corey, as we look to that transition in October, I want to encourage you two things. Remember, especially because your children are little like mine when I came, you can't do everything. Don't expect them to be everywhere. Don't expect them to accomplish everything. That's number one. And number two, um, I could go another 30 years if I'd preach from a couch like this. So just, just think about that. Just think about that. I told him, I told him earlier, this couch is from my office. Um, yeah. So, so it, was, it was bought with prophetic foresight then, I guess. Um, no, seriously. But the other thing that he taught me is whatever is important uh, to the church, whatever God does want the church to do, you put your money there, you put your time there, you put your energy there. And um, that was some of the wisest advice I ever got. And that's why we shifted. Do you know every, every staff position we've added, we always had to fight through the, we can't afford it. Where's the money? But when we take the step, the money comes. And uh, that's the way it was with a missions pastor. Um, we had Pastor Tommy and Jeannie, who were my good friends. When I was a youth pastor, they were on the board. I don't know what a man that young was doing on the board, but he was on the board. Um, they became our youth sponsors. They went on missions trips with us. Um, and when I left, they went with me to go on staff at the church I was going to. And they were in Belgium at the time serving as missionaries. And I knew of very few people that had a heart for missions like Tommy and Jeannie. And I thought, you know, if we could get them to come here and supervise this, um, we'll put our money where our mouth is. And God blessed. And we went from about 36,000 being given to over 300,000 being given a year. And um, Tommy is largely responsible for that. We're not, we know it's the Lord. We know everything is the Lord, but he's, he uses something. <laughs> and in our case, I think he used the Reeves and um, that's, that's where the Lord's brought us. Yeah. And, and, and that's amazing. I think it's, I think it's so interesting. So if you're, if you've not been a part of the church world for very long, uh, it's more rare than common, I think, that you find a missions pastor who is actually on staff. Typically what churches do is, you know, maybe the lead pastor or maybe a volunteer kind of heads up that ministry. But our missions ministry is so vast. Like it, it covers so many different levels of things. I was asking pastor earlier about just the process because even, pastor, tell me what, what year did you come in, 98? 
98. October 98. Right. So Cody was four then. Okay. Five. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, but the thing is, even, it was even less of a, a trend back in that day. It just wasn't a common thing. And so, Pastor, to be able to get to the point where you're like, man, I guess I'm asking, what was the point where you were just like, I can't do this by myself. I need a full-time person to come and lead this. Um, the Lord kept prompting us to do something. And we never got to the point where we felt like we could afford it. But I said, Lord, then you're going to have to help us do that. And um, the, you reach a point where missions is either a part of what you do, uh, a program, you know, that you do, or missions is one of the legs of the stool that you stand on. And God began to put in my heart, we, God is, I think what God is doing is he's, he's growing us like he did Israel going into the land, a city at a time and a, a, a ministry at a time. We realized that we didn't want to just reach the other nations. We wanted to reach the United States. We wanted to reach our community and we wanted missions to become um, not only reaching around the world, but reaching next door. We wanted to not only touch pagan cultures, but we wanted to touch uh, the poor and the needy. And, um, and it shifted um, from being, oh, I don't know what percentage, but a very high percentage foreign missions to right now, I think it's 65% foreign missions, 35% home missions and compassion ministries. And I just got to the point where I realized we, 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 could, not, we could no longer tack missions onto someone else's portfolio. portfolio. I remember the last time I was an associate pastor, I did children, I did youth, I did visitation. Toilets. I, I, I did I did whatever yeah, the pastor didn't have time to do. And um, I tell you, the church never grew uh, past maybe 450, 500 because a church grows according to its structure. And I said, if we want God to do this in missions, we've got to give missions. The, we need to put our money where our mouth is and we need to make missions count. And I, and I want to say this, everything that God has enabled us to do here, I, I can't think of an exception, uh, has been either tied directly or was a consequence of the church responding to missions. One of the pastors, when I was in college, said the Lord has told us to buy this piece of property over here. Um, it was Carl Strader in Lakeland. He said, it's going to cost us some astronomical amount of money. He said, the money we need, we do not have, but we have just about that much going into missions every year. And I thought he was going to say, and you got to understand, I was just a kid. I thought, oh, okay, well, he's going to take missions. You know, he's given the missions all these years. He's going to use it. We've spent it on missions. Now we'll spend it on us. He says, that means there's got to be a major change in missions. And I thought he was going to say, we're going to skip missions for about four years and come back to it. He says, the only way we can do this, the board and I are agreed. The only way we can do this is to take this money to missions and double what we give. And, and everybody was, 
And you know what? God met the need. They doubled their giving. They got the property. And um, God's, God's math is all screwed up by our standards. So uh, we, try, we, we just realized we want to do what God's calling us to do. But it's got to take more than just planning. It's got to take someone that can pastor that thing. Yeah. And it's, it's things like, um, it's things like, you know, we, dude, listen, our church supports over a hundred missionaries per month. Okay. That is so uncommon. That is a, that is an amazing thing, but you need someone who can vet those missionaries to make sure they are actually missionaries on the field. Okay, which you would think, well, nobody would receive money if they weren't actually on the field. There are scams all over the world today. You never know what you're dealing with. So you've got to have people who can vet, but also a pastor's heart to share vision and to, you know, organize trips and just on and on and on. So many different things. Yes. Um, but like I said, it's kind of uncommon, but it's the whole, it's the whole idea, uh, what you said earlier, um, when, when something is big in our heart, we, we lead with that. You know, we, we, we pour into that, we invest in that. It's been a really beautiful journey at this point. Okay, so before we get to Pastor Tommy, okay, I filtered a few, like, just, I don't know if they're fun questions or, or whatever the case may be. I want to ask you a question, okay? Um, who is your favorite pastor on staff and why is it me? No, I'm kidding, I'm and kidding. That's not my question, it, that's not my question. If that I'm needs kidding. to be answered, the why people just don't, have right. I okay. I get it. I get it. No, that wasn't they the question. Ought to the question. Know. <laughs> they ought to know. You ought to know. I'm, okay. I'm like the uh, I'm like the guy that wrote a book about his family, and he dedicated it to his four children or five children, or whatever. And with each dedication, he shocked me. I thought he shouldn't have said that. He told each child, "This is the reason. You know, you're my favorite child." And I thought, "Yeah." Hey, then he went to the second one, and this is the reason. Don't tell anybody, but this is the re-. he did it to all of them. So. Whoever's holding the mic's my favorite child. <laughs> no, the real question. Great answer, by the way. That was, but uh, the real question. All right. If you had to pick out your favorite, you've been on a ton of trips, mission trips throughout your life. If you could pick your favorite trip or your favorite memory or anything like that, or maybe even the one that impacted you the most for missions, what would it be? Uh, well, I, it couldn't be narrowed down to one, but I think the one that had the most influence on me was the worst trip I've ever been on. Um, the, the missionary that we went to, he had us in a jungle. We were so far out in the jungle that we had to ride a bus over 30 miles to get to this place in the jungle. Um, uh, it, was, it was really bad. He thought part of missions was to have the full experience, so he didn't buy water for us. He didn't and um, it's the only trip that several that I've led that several members ended up in the hospital. Um, it's the one I told you about where I came in and thought, oh, good, beans and rice. I am so hungry. And as I approached the beans and rice, all the beans flew away. <laughs> and it was just rice. And um, it, was, it was hands down. It was hands down the worst trip I'd ever had coming back we got on the airplane. I wanted to get home to my wife and baby so much. I was so sick. And they said, folks, I'm sorry, we are delayed. There is a question about the integrity of the engine. I stood up in the plane and said, go for it. Let's go for it. I can believe God if you can. I wanted to get home 
so bad. Either going home or going home. Yeah. One, of those. <laughs> one way or the other, I was going home. And uh, it, it, was just, it was just horrible. And um, I tried not to complain, but it was hard not to. And um, one, of the, one of the guys said, this was the worst trip I've ever been on. He's, he's, it really made me feel good. He said, I thought you'd have planned better than this. And um, I thought, well, if, if, I, if we're going to die, I may just go ahead and kill him now. But uh, he said, why are we even here? And one of my church members looked at him. Uh, he had said almost nothing, the, the trip, just a hard, steady worker. And uh, tears began to form. And he said, we're here because we love Jesus and we believe in reaching the lost. And I think that trip at that moment turned from being my worst trip to my best trip because I thought he gets it. He gets it. That's good. I've had the worst trip experience. It didn't pivot me in the right way though. Um, it pivoted me, me and Pastor Mike and Don, I think we're all on this trip. And it was, it was you know, sleeping outside with Jaguars and playing yeah. at the foot of an active volcano where you can see the lava coming. Yeah, those those kind of, of us that had been on right. that trip, we call that a sissy trip. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm teasing. Well, it definitely changed me in one way or another. But no, that's good. No, that's good. I'm teasing. So let me just say this, how much we appreciate, you know, from 1994. And, and, and again, I, I want to reiterate what you already said. When, you know, under Pastor Brown's leadership, you know, $30,000 a year, that is significant, especially when the church was the size that it was. It wasn't anything shabby. But, you know, for you and Ms. Ramona to come in and to have the vision, you know, for the lost and the compassionate ministries all around the world, we honor you. We appreciate you for Thank doing you that. So we mean much. that so Thank much. Um, so, yeah. So at this point, okay, it's a few years, 1994 has come and gone, it's a few years in, pastor has the vision, like, we, we need a man, we need a set person to really lead this ministry. So pastor hires Pastor Tommy and Miss Jeannie to come in in 1998, and uh, they, they come in, and I guess Pastor Tommy, as much of anything, you know, I came here in 2011, and it was already humming. Like missions, I was just like, oh, I guess this is just what it is, this is amazing. But the reality is, is that everything has to get off the ground at some point, right? Everything has a runway and everything has a takeoff point. And so for Pastor Tommy, I guess my question is, take us through that process. How did you build out missions from what it was, which wasn't bad, to what it is, which is extraordinary? Like, what was your mindset with all that? Well, as, as far as, it, it made it a little bit easier if you're the financial administrator for those years going up to it. And, um, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Pastor Tommy was also for financial. About the first 12 yeah. years. And then um, in 2011, I think Pastor came to me and said, you know, the board has talked and they decided we need somebody to do missions full time. Or if you want to keep this position, we'll get somebody else to do it. And I said, well, let me think about it. Yeah, I'll take it. So... <laughs> Uh, so we, uh, we were able to go and uh, we came here uh, with our hearts full and uh, the church we were at before and, and also in Belgium we were able to do some missions work, uh, and especially in Belgium. But uh, 
uh, it was a it was a treat to just be able to work with missionaries there and have them come and visit and, and everything that we would learn about how do you treat missionaries, how do you build relationships with them, how do you hold them accountable, and they hold you accountable, and all those things that worked really to our benefit. The Lord just walked us through all of that, and it was his wisdom. And it helps to come to a church that's full of grace and, and the, the love of Jesus. Uh, I know pastor, and, and the pastors that, uh, I think, what have we had, like four pastors here total since the church? So oh, at the beginning? Yeah. Uh, three, three or four, yeah. Yeah, so it's... Uh, I think you were the fourth, yeah. Yeah, so uh, anyway, the, um, it's, it's like a church that is, uh, has grown that much in the Word and, and love of Jesus. Um, it, it's kind of, it's easy to get you to follow uh, the, uh, the work of leading people to the Lord and taking Jesus to them and having them accepting it. The love of God drives us that way. And leads us that way, and uh, so it was great. But we came uh, knowing some of these things, having the benefit of uh, being on the field ourselves. Uh, we started with trying to build a relationship with with the missionaries that we had, and uh, making some changes. Uh, one of the ones was financially. A pastor talked about we we wanted to to not make missions a department of the church, but a priority of the church. So our financial uh, arrangement with you guys and faith promises and your giving, we kind of took a step of faith and said, well, we believe our people will want to give to missions and not just have missions taken out of the general fund. And uh, you responded so well with that. And then um, we had uh, a, a lot of culture built in here with pastor. One was uh, the fact that not only uh, do we have the uh, idea that missions was a priority, but we also were a cross or transcultural or generational church, and um, we knew that uh, we wanted all of you and all the departments in the church to be involved in reaching the lost through missions, and I think God helped us with that, and um, so we we set out to to make sure that all the departments, different departments, had the funding or the encouragement that they needed to really do what they wanted to do with missions. And there's some things that the church is called to do, and uh, there's, you know, there's no negotiating. We're called to pray, and we're called to win the lost. And so we just, we just did in that, and God helped us as we formed our, our missions program here. God sent, he just sent missionaries to us, and um, we just promoted missions giving from our heart, and you guys responded. I think it was the year 2000 uh, that we had the first missions convention when I was here, and Sam Johnson, I called Sam because he, uh, he was such a dear friend of ours uh, from Mobile, where Pastor and I were both at the church there, and uh, we had a great uh, missions pastor there, and he taught us how to how to bring in the uh, the guys like Mark Buntain and and Charles Greenaway. Probably some of you have never heard of these guys, Sam Johnson, Bernard Johnson from Brazil, but they were they're great great hearts for souls. And uh, I could tell you stories about accomplishments for all of them, but we kind of grew up in missions with those guys, just feeding into our hearts uh, the love of Jesus and the love of souls. So uh, we just 
kind of went from there and God took care of the rest of it and you, and you guys followed and, and were such a blessing in all of it. Right. So, so right now, as Pastor mentioned, um, our church is giving, uh, I don't know, average or whatever, but over the past 10 years, we've been clipping over $250,000 a year given towards missions, uh, going beyond $300,000 a year in missions. Um, so my question is, so we, the percentages are like, I think, I think like 65% of, or 60% of our missions is international. So it's like going to foreign lands, but then the rest, the 30 or 35, that's staying domestically with, you know, local missions or at least, you know, around the country or whatever. So I, I, my question is when, so if this is, if there's a person out here that I, they're like, I've never given to missions, but I would, I'm interested. I'd love to give to foreign missions. Okay. Can you give us an idea of like some of the, like, where do these dollars go? When we pray for missionaries, where, you know, what are our prayers supporting? And when we go, what kind of work are we going to be doing? Can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah, we can. Um, first of all, we're somewhere around over the last 10 years, I'm kind of a numbers guy still. And we've been averaging about 347,000 a year. Now, that's our total missions giving your faith promises. Uh, they were, before COVID, we were up around uh, uh, 340,000 in just faith promises. That year, if we'd have had our missions trips, you, you know, we would have had uh, almost a half a million or over a half a million dollars. Uh, the majority of that money goes into supporting our missionaries and into the projects for the trips that we take. Uh, when you go on a trip with us, we, we want you to uh, invest your time and and your your money to support the cost of you going and then we get the uh, the project money which is usually 10 to 15 sometimes twenty thousand uh, dollars for the project that we'll be doing when we go on the trip and uh, that comes out of our our faith promise giving the support that we give to our all of our missionaries comes out of that also support for about six different organizations um, I don't know if I can name them all. International Media Ministries is one uh, that's just very prominent in the world of bringing Jesus onto the screen through uh, different documentaries, different movies. Uh, they have uh, uh, many of the, the witness of, of Jesus himself on, on the screen. We, we also have uh, Convoy of Hope. We have um, a World Missions Center. And we have uh, some smaller ones too. We have Plant Today, which sends uh, folks into small areas where there are just not many, uh, maybe 150 to 200 people that would be totally unreached, except these guys make the trek into those remote areas and, and our World, World Outreach Center does this uh, same thing on a much larger scale. And they send, through the live school ministry, they, they send pastors for 10 or 15 people even and raise up congregations out in the rural area. And, and so when you, when you think of everything that has to happen, uh, Africa's Hope is one uh, that we do. Uh, I had some numbers I was going to share. I was just amazed at this when I was reading through this this week. Um, in Africa, you know that uh, they have about... There's about one and a half billion people on the continent of Africa. Africa's Hope has 382 Bible schools in most of the major cities across the continent. Uh, that's what, about uh, uh, 54 different countries. 
Uh, there's uh, about a million and a half, a billion and a half men, women, and children, and there's 3,000 different languages on the continent of Africa. Uh, compared to the U.S., there's only nine major languages. There's a few others that are out there like um, t Tennessee and places like that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but with a population of 330 million. And so uh, with 382 Bible schools in those cities, those schools have 23,000 students that are studying to be pastors, 87,000 churches that they've started, and 23 million adherents to Assembly of God churches. So you can see that in some cases we send individual missionaries, some cases we send teams through Live Dead as another organization. And uh, in some cases, we work with organizations that already have a, a major structure to reach the masses and, and to uh, train um, Bible school students to be pastors and um, church leaders. We know that we can never send enough, enough people to be everything that these other countries need. It's imperative in the assemblies, especially it's our our structure that we try to train the indigenous people to to be pastors and, and church leaders. So. so what you're saying is we're making a dent in the kingdom of darkness. Right. Okay. That's good. That's good to know. That's those 23 million people just through Africa's hope. Right. Are a part in the of what God's doing they've, in they've Africa. Created. That's incredible. That's incredible stuff. So we have a, a, a philosophy around uh, Christian life as it applies to our missions uh, ministry. Um, and, and uh, pastor brought this in, you know, a couple decades ago, but it's the idea of, uh, give, pray and go. Okay. Or pray, give, go, or whatever pray, the case pray, is, give, go. whatever, whatever order, uh, you wouldn't do that, but it's, it's a threefold purpose. And I know there are people sometimes that, um, you know, they may come through when they're like, I'm fine to pray, but you know, there, there's this organization out here that Christian life doesn't support, but I really want to support them. And we're very much like, well, yeah like followed the leading of the, of the, the dove, you know, of the spirit. Um, but there are people sometimes that will ask, they'll say like, well, what is the benefit of giving through Christian life? Why can't I just go and just pick out some missionaries? And the, the reality is, well, you can, and, and that's great. But I think that there's something, you know, we were talking earlier, there is, there is something about doing something big together. There, there's just something about being a part. I remember uh, last year when we got, uh, if you were here in the spring of this year, we, we created these annual church reports, which is like this multi-page document. And uh, two pages of it was about the missions work and how much was given and you know, missionaries all around the world, what God was doing, all this kind of stuff. And I remember seeing like the $300,000 whatever. And I looked at that and like, there was like pride swelled in my heart. And I was like, I was part of that. You know, now, now the reality was my percentage was like, you know, probably small compared to the $300,000 that was given. But I looked at it and I was like, yeah, we did that. And we did. And I think there's something special about being a part of that and not just, you know, randomly, whatever. Does that make sense? You yeah. Think? And uh, a lot of that, you know, over, I think this year we'll probably hit the number for our faith promise giving will be somewhere around 270, 275,000. Yeah. Uh, the rest of that 100,000 comes from designated offerings that you give 
and we make sure that those monies go to those missionaries that you give them to. Also, uh, the cafe does a great job of bringing in some funds, and those funds usually, in fact, those funds go to uh, helping people take trips. So if you're interested, that's a good way to do it. And, great. and if you grab one of the books out in the lobby, there should be uh, probably enough for one per family, and uh, there's a lot of information in there on that. Yeah, you mentioned taking trips. Let me ask just a quick hand-raised survey. Okay, be a part of this so we can get it accurate. If you have never been on a mission trip ever, like overseas, let's say, let's say international, will you raise your hand if you have been on a trip internationally missions? You raise your hand really quickly. Okay. Now, if you have never, okay, this isn't to make you feel bad. That's not what this is about. I'm just saying, I want to see what the spread is. If you've never had the opportunity to go, will you raise your hand really quickly? Okay, man. Okay, now, now check. Anyway, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that for Pastor Cody. Okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Okay, but there are going to be ample opportunities um, because there's something that just happens in the heart of a person. We can give, we can pray, and, and God uses all that. But there's something that shifts in the heart of a person when you are able to touch the lives individually uh, yourself. So let me ask this question before we shift over to Pastor Cody. Um, so we, we know your mission's heart. We know your heart for the lost. But we also know your heart for Alabama football. That's right. Okay. Roll time. Oh, okay. You see the aggression? It just came out. All right. So it's here's, like hallelujah. I mean. here, <laughs> so here's the question for you, okay? If you could only choose one of the following two scenarios, which would it be? Would you love to have the opportunity to stand beside Nick Saban during a national championship game against Auburn? Would you rather help old Saban win that game by giving a little coaching in his ear? Or would you rather take our entire church on a mission trip to a remote lost people group and see if we might share the gospel. Well, we could take you to Brussels. It would be that remote. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be fun. We could go on a cruise and just go to about five or six different islands and build churches. We could split you up. There's are, no are you we saying could, we'd take a swing through Tuscaloosa? Is that what well, you're saying? Well, no. They know the Lord there. <laughs> uh, no, the... Uh, the Crimson Tide, I mean, how can you not come up with something? Oh, that's, just, oh, that's right. That'll preach. But uh, anyway, this, it's, uh, it's such a tremendous thing. Uh, we've had some great teams from this church. And uh, if, in fact, the Cuba team will be leaving in um, January to go back. There are some organizations that we, we partner with um, that we have uh, been working with uh, the Broken Arrow Ministries in Arizona for since 2001. Uh, we've been working with uh, Cuba, even probably I think about 2007 or 8 before uh, I was really fully involved with that group. We sent groups and started building house churches in Cuba uh, with Paul Paul Duda from uh, Springfield, and uh, he's he's responsible for probably about 250 or so. Uh, house churches in Cuba. God's doing a tremendous thing there. So, uh, you know, God will move and he will, he will make things happen if we just are obedient to what he wants us to do. Amen. So I'll take you anywhere. Amen. Amen. 
Just get with Pastor Cody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, Pastor Tom, before we move on, Pastor Cody, so this is where we are. Pastor Stephen comes in, 1994. I had this vision for missions, can't do it myself. We need a guy. Pastor Tommy and Miss Jeannie come in in 1998, and now we find ourselves in 2023. And it's time for the, baton, the baton to be passed on to the next generation. Um, so before we shift over, talk to Pastor Cody for a minute, I wanna say, I know I've said it before, okay? But how much we appreciate what you and Miss Jeannie have built as a part, not only of the kingdom, but out of Christian life. You haven't just built a good ministry, which it is, it's a thriving ministry, but you have been a part, an integral part of putting something in the hearts of people for missions yes. work. And so I just want to say I honor you, I love you, appreciate you so very much, you and Miss Jeannie, for Amen. all your, your work. Amen. You guys are the ones. God bless you so much for your love of the Lord and, and your love for souls. We know we've got a lot to do still. Amen. And uh, we're looking forward to what the Lord has for us. Amen. Amen. Now we shift our attention to Pastor Cody. Cody. Cody is from Texas, which we all know is the birthplace and origin of Whataburger, the greatest restaurant on the planet. Um, as a matter of fact, in honor of today, Cody pointed out earlier, I'm wearing my Whataburger socks today. Anybody notice that? Can we get a up close? Can we get a shot of that right here? That. They really are. Look. What a burger. It almost looks like a Batman signal. I trust you, it's not. Trust me. All right. Some of our friends, we have friends that know oh, Pastor and I I'm love. I'm wearing mine next Sunday. Yeah, he's wearing his next Sunday. They, they know we love Whataburger. They were in like Dallas or something like that a few weeks ago and brought us back like bags of Whataburger gear. I've got like sandals and flops at home. It was pretty amazing. That is indeed a love language. Am I right? That's a love language. That's right. So, uh, I digress. Cody, so you're from the great land of Whataburger, okay? Um, so I know that, you know, you, you've been in South Carolina for eight or nine years now, and you've been a part of the church for probably about that long, but, but the reality is, is that a lot of folks in the Christian life community may not be familiar with you. They may have never had an opportunity to know you. You haven't, you know, been on stage a ton. Um, and so if you could just kind of like walk us through a little bit of who you are, okay, kind of where, where you've come from, like who did, did we pick this guy off of the road, you know, kind of let us know where you've come from, a little about your family, but also your time as a, as a missionary. Yeah. Tell us a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So like Pastor Corey said, I'm, I'm from Texas. I was born and raised in Dallas and uh, I was a part of a family that wasn't a church growing, going family. We didn't go to church. We God was kind of this, like, there's a higher power, you know, sort of agnosticism that was in our home. And uh, that was kind of my, my childhood. And I, I didn't start walking with God until right before I left for college. I got dragged to a summer camp, actually, in Asheville. <laughs> um, and I heard a presentation of the gospel. I responded. The, it was a powerful experience. And then I went to college, and I got discipled. I got a part of an organization called Chi Alpha. And I learned what it means to walk with God, to be a man of God, and, and to read God's word, all that kind of stuff I learned uh, in that ministry. And got to be a part of that in San Antonio, where I went to college. And uh, during that time, I met my wife, Katie. And I was well on my way to med school. Um, I had one year left to, of undergrad to finish my chemistry degree. And I was well on my way to med school when I just stopped and thought, 
okay, what does the Lord want <laughs> with my life? I had never really asked that question, um, and I'd only been walking with the Lord for four, four years at that point. So I, uh, I stopped and asked that question, and my desires started to shift, and I was no longer excited about med school, and honestly, I started thinking about what Lord, what, what do you have for me? What's, what's your purpose for me and, and, and all that? And through some random, well, actually not random <laughs> events that took place, we had opportunity to, to join ministry. Um, and that was the first time Katie called me. She was on a, a Spring Bank mission trip. We were engaged at the time. And she said, this pastor said the weirdest thing to me. She was serving at a church in L.A., and she said that the pastor was asking for interns to come back, and I told him I couldn't come back because I'm getting married. And, and he said, well, why don't you come and be like, you and your husband could be like our college pastors, and we'll put you in a house, and, and you'll live there, and you could reach out to UCLA, I think was the college that was next to the church. And she told me that, and I think she knew that that was important for her to tell me that. And that was the first time I ever thought, oh, I could do ministry with my life. Yeah. I, I, I did thought that was for other Christians, you know, certainly not for someone who didn't grow up in church or uh, go to school for that or anything. So the wheel started turning. My heart started to come alive for that. And I brought it to my friend, Patrick. And I said, uh, what Patrick if I did? Hundle? <laughs> Patrick Hundle. Patrick <laughs> Hundle, the one and only. And um, I was like, what if I moved to LA and did this college ministry thing? And he was like, that's a great idea. But what if you like came with us instead? And <laughs> You did Chi Alpha, which you know you're familiar with, and we moved to South Carolina, and we plant a spirit-filled community on the campus there. And so we, um, me and my wife started praying. We were young. We had, we'd been married for just, you know, a few months when we started having these conversations. And uh, I remember sitting at the dining room table in our first apartment that we rented together, and we sat down, and, and she said, okay, let's pro-con this thing, you know, let's, you know, to see if we should do it. And Which is very Katie. Yeah, if, if she's know, very detailed, very organized, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I just said, you, you know, the, the cons are going to outweigh the pros. We're, we're leaving Texas, first of all, Whataburger. Um, we're leaving. <laughs> said. Amen. Yeah. Stay. No, it's kidding. our cross to bear. But God is faithful. Amen. He's, they're, they're coming. <laughs> <That's right>. Yes, <laughs> Lord. So, you know, the, the cons are going to outweigh the pros. We're leaving all our friends and family um, to be missionaries. I think that the better thing is that that love finds a need and meets it and there's a need and let's meet it you know let's be a part of of that and so we moved we raised our budget and we moved to South Carolina and uh, we we ministered for seven years we were on campus as missionaries full-time reaching college students for the Lord we saw some incredible things and actually I'll say this I I didn't realize how much that time has prepared me for this role. Not that like I had to do that to do this, but the, the Lord is using that mm -hmm. in this role. And as I meet with missionaries, just to be able to say, one of the most comforting things you can ever hear is, oh, I get that, or, you know, me too, I understand that. And I can say that when I sit across from missionaries, you know, and, um, and so I'm, that's just, the Lord is using that. You never know what your obedience today is gonna do in the future and, and who's it's gonna impact, and so. Walk in obedience. Um, but yeah, does that answer that question? Yeah, that's good. That's good. So you married Katie, right? And then y'all just start having babies, right? <laughs> so the next question is, yeah. are you going to have a son at some point? <laughs> the Lord only knows. <laughs> <laughs> Cody has three beautiful little girls. And I said to him earlier, they are... They're like the spirit of joy is on them. They are the most, they are the most happy children. They're always smiling, always loving. Well, not always. Uh, well, no, no. <laughs> Co 
Correct, correct. But every time I've been around them, maybe the spirit of joy is on me. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do have three beautiful little girls, four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a nine-month-old. Corey, Davey, and Teddy. So That's precious. They really are. They really are. Okay, so, so you're doing missions work at Chi Alpha, right, at, at USC, which has exploded with both uh, growth. Huge props to um, Patrick and his wife, Bethany, for their vision for that ministry and all that God's doing. Incredible work there. Um, so you're there, and then all of a sudden something begins to shift. Talk to us a little bit about how you became a pastor here at Christian Life. Yeah, so we got to the end of our sixth year of ministry at USC, and I was looking ahead, and we, we were going to finish our seventh year, and I, I knew we started talking about, well, what if we took a sabbatical at the end of our seventh year of ministry? And so I talked with Patrick about it, and he was like, yeah, it's a great idea. And in that time, you can pray about, you know, what the Lord has for you in the next season, whether you're going to stay or go or, or whatever. And so I wasn't on sabbatical yet, but I started thinking, okay, Lord, what are you going to speak when we go on sabbatical, you know? And I was like, well, we could stay here at USC and be a part of this Chi Alpha team. We're, we're pretty integral to the ministry, not that we're not replaceable, but we have roles that we fulfill that we really enjoy, and, we, and we've grown a lot in that capacity. And so that was one thing, and it was like, well, we, we, it also makes a lot of sense for us to go and pioneer another Chi Alpha. We've, we've done it, and we know what it takes, and, so, and the Southeast is ripe with opportunities for that. And so that was also another thing. And then I just had this little thought, in the back of my head of like, what if I could be a pastor somewhere, you know? Like, what if I got to pastor? And so I, I brought that to my, my wife, Katie, and she was like, in the most loving way possible, she was like, oh, baby, you're, you're not a pastor. <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're not pastors. Like, hey, true love keeps us protected and humble. That's right, right. that's right. Um, and and she, didn't, she wasn't saying it offensively, obviously. She was just saying, no one would think to hire you as a pastor, you know? Like, you go to seminary for that sort of thing, and no one would even, you're not on anybody's radar for that. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> but God's radar. Yeah, God knew. Um, but I kind of held on to that. At the same time that that was kind of stirring in my heart, we had been coming to this church for a few years at that point, And part of that was COVID, so we weren't really involved. It took us like two, a year and a half just to become members because of everything. And um, I had just become a member. I had joined the altar team ministry, and so I was at an altar team meeting at the church, and directly after that, I went to a choir rehearsal for the Christmas choir. This was a little over a year ago, and at the same time that I was doing all of that, they were showing Millennials React to the Chosen here in the main sanctuary, and I remember walking through the corridors after everything had, I was over, and I was with a few of my friends, and I, audibly, I said out loud, I, was, I love this place. You know, and I growing not growing up in church, I didn't really have a paradigm for what the church was. And in fact, when when I did start walking with God, most of the ministry I saw taking place happened on campus. You know, and so I uh, it was like the first time, like a aha moment of, wow, the church is actually a force for good in the kingdom of God. You know, <laughs> like this, and this church specifically is making a difference in the community and the lives of the people that come to it. So I said audibly, man, I love this place. I love it here. And it was a couple months after that that I got a text from you, Pastor Corey, saying, hey, you want to sit down and have lunch? I didn't think twice about it, but um, we got lunch, and you begin to explain, hey, we've got this position becoming available. And I thought in that moment you were going to ask if I knew anybody. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> And, and at the end of the conversation, he said, this will show Katie. No, I'm kidding. 
And then I tried to tell you all the reasons you shouldn't hire me. I've never been to seminary yeah. and never yeah. been a pastor yeah. before. But. but see, that was a draw, which you don't realize is that's a drawing card. Yeah. Like it wasn't a false humility. It's like, a, it's a like, are you sure? Like, and you know, this is in my heart, but are you sure it's in your heart? And uh, that's, a, that's a major drawing card, you know. Yeah. And, and the, the Lord just used all that yeah. to show that this is what he had for us. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about, very quickly, Katie. One minute for Katie, and then I got one more follow-up, and then we'll be good. Tell us a little bit about her. Uh, well, she's incredible. I think that when you meet me, the first thing you recognize about me is my wife. <laughs> she's... She's magnetic. She's got an incredible personality. She lights up the room when she comes in. She's gorgeous, obviously. And um, yeah, she's wonderful. She's organized and detailed. She's all the things that I'm not, she is, and I'm grateful for her. It's good. You know what I love? The other day I heard him on the phone talking to Katie, and it was about something like random. I don't even know what it was. But I love it when young couples, when you hear a passing conversation, I wasn't eavesdropping, I'm not a weirdo, but I heard this passing conversation. And he's like, well, baby, what do, you, what do you need me to do? What can I do to help? And she's like, well, nothing, you know, whatever. He's like, okay, I love you. You just call me if you need me. And listen to me, when you get couples in their 20s and 30s who have been married for less than 10 years, um, that's, I mean, it can be a hard time. You know what I'm saying? But when you, when you begin, when you really see in a person's soul their love for their mate and it's manifest in that way, um, it's, it, it says a lot about who they are. It says a lot about their character. And so I honored them for that. It's really good. All right, let's shift the missions really quickly. Okay. All right, got a couple minutes here. Let's talk very quickly about, like we've talked about where we were. We talked about where we are now, but give us a little insight. Like what's, what's bubbling in your soul? What do you feel like the Lord is stirring as far as where we're going missions? Sure. I, uh, you know, when you talk about like what's your heart for missions, really my heart for missions is the same as my heart for being a pastor. It's to see Christ formed in all of us. I think we would all agree with that. We want to see Christ formed in, in us and in our congregation. And when it pertains to missions, it's really just God's heart for the lost, you know. And uh, I can't really talk about what I want to do practically without saying how grateful I am to Pastor Tommy and the foundation that he's laid of missions at this church. And that's not just fluff. I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. And I've experienced it as a missionary. You know, we talk about a missions pastor is also a pastor to missionaries, and you've done that. You, you welcomed us to South Carolina with open arms. You supported us financially, but, but emotionally. You made this place that was foreign to us feel like home. I've seen your wife with, with tears in her eyes pray over missionaries and lay hands on them. And so I'm grateful for, for your ministry, uh, Pastor Tommy, and... I want to just carry it forward into the next season, um, and I want to be a part of a lot of people's first. So when we talk about going, and we talk about trips, and we see the hands of people that haven't been on a trip, um, which isn't a bad thing, anything to be ashamed of, but I want to be a part of helping you get on your first ever trip. You know, we, we are changed as human beings more by experience than we are by information, you know? And if you're, like, if you're a parent in the room, and before you had your first kid, maybe you read a book or listened to a podcast. Or a million people told you what, what it was going to be expect, like. Right. And all that stuff is good, but it all fails in comparison to, to holding that child for the first time, to experiencing it. And it's the same thing with short-term trips. It, it, you can learn about missions and experience it, and all that stuff is great, but it fails in comparison to experiencing it for yourself and uh, being marked by that. And so I want to be a part of getting people who haven't been on a trip 
on a trip. Uh, the same goes for, for praying. I want to create environments and, and atmospheres of, of missional prayer in our church and rhythms where that happens. Uh, we did a prayer event a week ago to kick off Missions Week. And it was incredible. I think it was it really was, sweet. It was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, we had index cards, laminated index cards of all the missionaries this church supports and had pictures and names and where they're at. And we just got to pray for our missionaries by name. You know, and I, was, I heard this morning of, of, a, of a woman that was there at the meeting and she felt like God asked her to pray for something specific. And so now I get to go tell those missionaries, hey, this is, I want you to be encouraged. There's a lady in our church here in South Carolina that is praying for you by name. And this is what the Lord shared with her. You know, so that sort of thing. Um, I want to see that happen. And then giving. If, we, if you don't give to missions, I, w- I want to be a part of helping you understand why it's important uh, and, and giving you the opportunity to, to do that. Yeah, because when we give to missions, it not only does something for people, it does something in us. Amen. Like, that's the beauty that's of the kingdom of God and how it works. Yeah. So I'm super excited. You know, people ask me, I'll, you know, often they'll ask about the transition for, for Pastor and I, and they're, they're kind of like, you know, what's, what's in your heart, what's vision, and all these kind of things. And there are things that are unique that are boiling in, in my heart. Um, but more than anything, I'm like, well, there's nothing to fix for sure, but there's always something to build upon. So we're building into the future. And so I feel like that's kind of the, the same thing that you're saying with missions. We just yeah. want to take what we have, which is amazing, and we just want to keep on keeping on. Yeah. And so very excited, Cody. Really excited to have you here. Um, very excited about what the Lord's doing at Christian Life Through Missions and all this. Um, I want to take the last, uh, the last few minutes, and we're going we're gonna to pivot a little bit. We're going to uh, let Pastor take and share his heart for a few minutes. Uh, as it relates to faith promise giving uh, and missions as far as a philosophy here at the church, and then we'll conclude our services and wrap up. But thanks so much for uh, experimenting with us today. I think this is fun and uh, gives you a little bit of behind the scenes type of insight. So pastor. I will be brief in all sincerity, um, but I want to express my confidence in two things. Uh, Number one, I want to express my confidence in this transition process and all the people that are shifting the moving parts. I I am absolutely, totally convinced that the best days of this church are ahead. And I mean that with all of my heart. Um, I have no qualms of taking on a new role. And I do want to just say this to be sure everybody understands because I keep getting asked, when are you retiring? I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm not retiring. My role is really shifting. I'm becoming part-time and, and I'm not going to get in the way of Pastor Corey's leadership, but I'm still going to be here uh, watching my grandchildren grow up in this great uh, community of faith. And I will still have some ministerial functions, but it won't be in the limelight uh, primarily. So I, I didn't want you to think I was moving to Palm Springs or, or anything. <laughs> Um, I I couldn't leave you. That wouldn't work. Um, But I have great confidence in the days that are ahead. Number two that I want to express, you've heard the phrase pray, give, and go uh, several times. And I am still convinced that that is the foundation. If missions is is a three-legged stool, those are the three legs that missions stands on. Um, I I want to just say quickly, uh, you know, why do we pray? It's because of what Dick Eastman said. Some things happen when we pray 
that do not happen if we do not pray. Other than the pages of scripture, there are very few things that have been consistently true in my life over and over and over and over again, more than that statement. Some things happen when we pray that do not happen if we do not pray. Therefore, if we do not pray, something in our lives or the lives of someone we love may go undone. So we need to pray. I think of a story that I read uh, of a missionary that I have such high regard for. The story itself was probably a little over 100 years ago. Um, a group of women were going inland in China. And this was before China was the power it is today in the communist nation. Um, and the civilized or, or more acceptable part of China was along the coast. So if you know missions history, what happened is most of the organizations were headquartered along the coast, but it was a dangerous thing to go inland. And I forget how many, three or four ladies without any um, uh, male members of their missions party were going inside to deliver some stuff to a school, come back, high risk. People that had tried to do that before were often uh, attacked or robbed or, or kidnapped but they, they sent word to pray. And you've got to remember, this was before the day of instant contact. So this, this thing I'm telling you took months to transpire. But they sent word, we've, we're going to do this. And uh, they didn't give any details, but uh, we need prayer. And they said, these are the dates that we could use special prayer. Back home in Maryland, if I remember correctly, one of their sending churches one of the ladies in church said, you know, I think we ought to pray for our team in whatever town it was. And I feel like we ought to pray every day of this special assignment. Furthermore, I think we ought to pray at night because if we pray in the day, they're gonna be asleep. We need to be praying while they're moving. It'll be day there while it's um, night here. So we need to commit those nights to prayer. And, um, and they did. They prayed and the ladies got to the school with no incident. They returned with no incident. And after that trip, they were preaching, giving testimony to the Lord's faithfulness. And somebody gave their heart to the Lord. And the testimony was God didn't allow bandits to either see us or touch us. And we are so thankful. A man gave his heart to the Lord and he said, I don't think you understand. I was one of those bandits. We did see you. We saw you several times going and coming. Uh, and she said, well, why were we not attacked like other groups? He says, because there were nine of the biggest, strongest looking men that we have ever seen in our lives. They were fierce warriors and, and we did not dare attack you. And she said, we were alone. And then they, they said, praise the Lord. He must have sent his angels. And we celebrate that, but that's not the end of the story. The rest of the story was that when they wrote the church to give testimony, the church wrote back and said, we were praying for you during that time. Another letter, just out of curiosity, how many folks were praying? The answer goes back, all the days of your journey, nine of us gathered, never more, never less, but we gathered. Loved ones, some things happen when we pray that don't happen when we don't pray. Um, 
The, uh, the third thing, I'm going to come back to the second thing. The third thing is, is go. We pray, give, and go. And the reason for that, Cody summed it up well. There's more that happens in the life of someone who goes on a trip than gives to a trip. Now, we're not minimizing the giving because we have to have that. Um, and some people are unable to go on trips. I understand that. But we encourage you to either go uh, on one of our trips or make it possible for someone else to go on one of the trips. Because what I have found through the years is that if we give money, which is absolute necessity, if we give money, we do good. We build a church or a Bible school or an orphanage. But if we go and build the church or the orphanage or what have you, we build more than a building. We build a missionary because you don't get away from what you experience on that mission field. I, I can count on one hand and have several fingers left over the number of people that have gone to a missions trip and it had a negative impact. Uh, it's, it's almost always a positive thing. Let me talk to you about giving. We, this is what we want you to do and we're almost out of time, but you have uh, a faith promise giving card and you say, well, I, I like to give to projects. I don't like, I, I like to know where my money's going. Well, let me, let me explain something to you briefly. Um, the reason we do this is because of two things. Number one, it helps us know how to plan. If we can expect $100,000, we can do this. If we can expect $300,000, we can do this. But I, I need you to understand what the faith, you say, well, I'd rather just, I'd rather know what the project is. Well, you can always give to projects. You can always, you know, we, we have missions or a tithe money that always goes to tithe. We have missions money that always goes to missions, but missions is divided into two parts. Um, there is the project money where you say, well, I, I believe in that Bible school project. I'll give a thousand dollars to that. And that may be all you give. And we thank God for that. But you need to understand the reason we do this and the reason we need everybody to embrace this idea of a faith promise is because this is what keeps the missionaries on the field. Now this may go to a project, but basically we support over hundred missionaries and it's really, that's a deceiving number. It's not a hundred missionaries, it's a hundred missionary units. That might be a man, a wife, two or three children. We're talking about hundreds of people are able to be on the field because of your faith promise. This is like at home, you know, you save up a lot of money perhaps for a special project. We're gonna get a hot tub or we're gonna get a, you know, a pedigree dog or we're gonna get a new living room suit. You save up for those projects, but you don't use, you don't use mortgage money to pay for furniture. You don't use utility money to pay for a new car. Because if you do that, you, you don't have a home. And we do this because this says we're gonna keep the missionaries on the field. Right now, I guess if we count it up, I'm guessing, I'd say we're probably talking about not keeping 100 people on the field, but probably between four and 600 people on the field. And so that's why this is important. Um, the thing that I'm concerned about a little bit is that 80% of our faith promise 
pledges come from seniors. 80% comes from seniors. Now, I'm not criticizing any other group, but what we need to understand or, or what that tells me is that we haven't done a good job of communicating how important this is to keep people on the field. So you can give to projects, you can give to general missions, and this is what keeps them on the field. Now, it's time for us to go. Uh, I want to say that if there's anyone who needs prayer to receive Jesus for healing or whatever, the, the altar teams are coming. They'll be in place when we dismiss and we'll dismiss in less than a minute. Uh, don't look at your watches, just take my word for it. Um, or if you're online, call that number. We'd be glad to pray with you about your relationship with the Lord or any other need that you have. But what we'd ask you to do before you leave, you, you, you can take it home, just don't let it get lost. Um, we'd like to ask you to take a moment to just ask God, what Lord do you want me to do? And then you can drop it in the bucket on your way out or put it in one of the offering receptacles. On your bulletin, there's a QR code. This is um, some kind of witchcraft. I'm not sure that I understand it, but it's available as well. Just plead the blood of Jesus when you use it. Loved ones, we want everybody. We're not asking for equal gifts, but we're asking for equal sacrifice. Father, as we go today, I pray that you would bless this. Oh, Lord, I've had a wonderful time, and I hope the church has too. It's so exciting to see what God is doing. Thank you that we can be a part of the end-time harvest. We pray that you would meet needs. Bless time in the altar. Bless us as we go. Some need to have a family meeting before they decide on what to do with missions. But Lord, we ask in the strong name of Jesus that the kingdom would advance for the glory of God. In your name we pray, amen, amen.